However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of PTSM. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, coming off the episode featuring Jerry Briscoe, love talking with Jerry because I tell you, I had no idea there were so many different sides to Jerry. Uh, not only you know the skilled wrestler, uh, the toughest nails shooter. Uh, he had this reputation as being one of the toughest guys in the business. Also, an incredible businessman, along with his brother Jack, and uh, somebody who just liked to have a lot of fun, and he certainly did that uh, along the way during an incredible career. Uh, we've got another great episode of Primetime coming your way. Another example of someone who got an incredibly lucky break, an opportunity, and he seized it and never looked back. Uh, you know, you may have heard of method acting before, but after you hear the story of Nikita Koloff, uh, you're going <laughs> to realize that, uh, you know, you know, you know, method acting is when you actually live and, and become that character. Well, Nikita Koloff uh, took it to the extreme, and uh, as I said, you're gonna you're gonna hear all about it about it and the fascinating road that uh, fascinating road that he traveled in the world of professional wrestling, uh, one that uh, amazingly did not include a stop in the WWE, and he explains that, talks about it, but that's kind of incredible, don't you think? Listen to this great episode uh, with the Russian nightmare Nikita Koloff, and we started all off. Uh, with this huge opportunity that Scott Simpson at the time, before he was Nikita Koloff, got when he got a phone call from his good friend, Joe Laurinaitis, you know, road warrior. And he said, hey, Scott, you want to be a professional wrestler? And uh, Scott said, yeah, sure. And he said, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to shave your head and you're going to show up at this office and you're going to talk to a man named Jim Crockett. All right, let's get to it. Ding, ding, ding. So, so Joe makes the call, yeah. you know, I still remember it's nine o'clock one morning. He makes the call, answers the phone. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, it wasn't a long conversation. He just says, Hey, there's a couple of guys in the Carolinas, Don Canoto, Ivan Koloff. They came up with this storyline of a nephew for Ivan. Um, he, you know, supposed to compete in the Olympic games in Los Angeles, the boycotts preventing the, the nephew from doing that. So, so uh, they're going to turn him pro. He's become Ivan's protege, you know. And and you know, are are you interested? I go well. And I said, I first said to Joe, I go, well, Joe, do they know? 
I've got no amateur wrestling background, no professional training. He goes, yeah, I told him that. Because here's what they asked Joe. Don Canoto came to, you know, Don Canoto, I didn't go up with a world tag team champions in NWA. Don comes to Joe and says, hey, this was the question, Sean. Do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? That was the question. Becoming a Russian, too. And, <laughs> and becoming a Russian. And Joe goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I know the guy right now. I got your call, guy. Right? Yeah. And, and so and he calls me, and that's basically call. I go, well, what do I got to do? He goes, well, here's this promoter's number. His name's Jim Crockett. Give him a call. Okay. Mm. So I hang up the phone with Joe. I call Jim. I, I, I call the doctor. I call Jim Crockett. He answered. He gets on the phone. And I go, Mr. Crockett, you know, Joe Laurinaitis, blah, 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 told me to call you. Yeah. And and, uh, he goes, and he's like, yep. And I go, uh, now, and, and by the way, this is before cell phone taking a picture and sending it through the wire, right? I mean, it's just a, it wasn't, guys, it wasn't a five-minute conversation. I just said, now, Mr. Crockett, I understand this, this story, a nephew and all. I go, but do you understand, before I load up my car and come to a town I've never been to before, that I've, I've never been in the ring, mm -hmm. I have no professional training, mm -hmm. I have no amateur wrestling background. Do you understand that? Yeah, that's what they told me. Oh, okay. I go, okay. I go, so, what, so that, what's next? He goes, be in my office June 4th with your head shaved. I go, that's it? He goes, that's it. All right, see you then. That was it. That was the conversation. That's where it began. And you know, not uh, everybody, yeah. not everybody can do accents. Uh, you know, to do the Russian, you got to, you know, you got to have this. Uh, but could you do that? Yeah. I mean, were you good at that? Because you know, people, a lot of people couldn't, and they just wouldn't even let them talk. But we, <laughs> were you able to do it, or did you have to start practicing? Well, so 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 here's the deal, because it's a kind of an important part of the story. Uh. Remember, twelve years old, Iron Man magazine, and what I said to myself. Yeah. You're one day, that guy. Yeah. I'm going to look like one of those guys. Yeah. So the day I walked into Jim Crockett's office, what he saw with his eyes was a guy who was 285 pounds, 8% body fat with a 34-inch waist. That's what he wow. saw. Yeah. So I'd become exactly what I said 12 years prior that wow. I would become. That's yeah. what he saw, first, first, support, first impression walking in. And, and of course, part of the story was you don't speak any English. You're just off the boat. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that makes it easy, right? All I got to do yeah. is like you know, look mean and yeah. right. Act mean, look mean, right? So that was, that was part of the story. So he introduces me to Ivan and Don in the hallway that day. Take a look at your new partner. Akita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina that day. They literally put me right in the interview stage. So don't talk. I want your shirt off. Chains over your neck. Ivan, give me your chains. Look mean, they talk. I'm like, okay. Um, that was the beginning instructions. The accent mm -hmm. then, I didn't talk for six months on television at all. And I didn't talk hardly anywhere else, by the way, at all. And in the meantime, I, I'm in my head, I'm like, if I really was from there, how would I talk? What would this word sound like? What would that word sound like? What would a sentence right. sound like? And so I took six months to develop that, that, that accent. Yeah, but we didn't have the, the internet in a sense where you could, you know, even now you just get on Google and I could bring up somebody speaking Russian. I could get, you're weak, I get, I break your legs or whatever, you know. 
but you, where yeah. did you get? Where could you draw from to even hear it? I uh, Ivan helped you. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, well, you know, obviously, I, you know, Ivan did speak with the accent, yeah. so right. um, you know, I'm on the interview set every week with him and listening to him, etc., and, and or out in public or whatever. Um, so obviously, that helped. I did pick up. I, I did pick up a, a Russian work. I found a Russian workbook in the days of cassette tapes. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Got a got a cassette tape that I would listen to that teach me a, a few Russian words and <laughs> learn to sign my name in Russian. Uh-huh. But it, again, as far as developing the character, uh-huh. I still just kind of played around with that in my head and, and, and in the car, kind of you know, kind of kind of practicing what that would sound like, you know. Wow. Well, uh, you, you were. You pulled it off. I mean, in a big time, and and um, you know they call it method acting, uh, but right. but nobody else really. I mean, there were guys that did their gimmick to where they would do it in and out of the arena, but you took it further than that. And was was it to uh, really capture that character? What what was your thinking behind that? I don't know if where I don't know if you had done any acting and you know before that, or what was what was your uh, your motivation behind that? Well, a um, couple, couple ways I, I can uh, address that that question. Um, of course, I never the the answer did I take any acting. The answer is no. I I had to stand up in front of a class in school talking. Um, that's the irony of it as well. But really, um, yeah, and I never even knew the term method acting until much later on that that was actually what I did and what I was doing. Um, I learned later on that mm-hmm. terminology but um uh, again yeah in, in crockett nobody asked me to, to do this i i just in my mind i thought if, if I'm, so i'm all okay let, let me uh, define that just quickly and briefly yeah. i'm a 100 when i picked up iron man magazine and i said one day i'm gonna look like one of those guys i'm not a 50 50 guy or an 80 20 or 70 30 i I'm a 100, meaning I'm all in, and I will do that and yeah. make it happen. When I start playing football, again, I'm a 100. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to just play football. I want to be a starter. I want to catch touchdowns. I want to yeah. be all conference. I want to be all American. Okay. Yeah. So when you I were the guy that you. Said, yeah, you were the guy that drove everybody crazy at practice because you played. You practiced like you played. I remember coaches telling that is us, correct. you were that guy, right? In fact, <laughs> I was that guy. In fact, you ask Barry Darcel, oh. he will tell you that very thing. He'll really? Go, here's, a, here's the funny part. Yeah. Darcel's in Louisiana with Nikolai Volkov, right? Uh-huh. And, and he's doing a turncoat thing down there. And he and they heard there's a shoot Russian, a shooting Russian up in the Carolinas. When we brought him to the Carolinas, he looked at me and goes, dude, I should have known it was you. <laughs> Because I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a hundred. He knew it, yeah. And so and so I got into wrestling, I go, all right, I'm just not gonna just be a wrestler, I'm gonna be a world champion. And if I'm gonna be a world champion, I'm gonna get this character over, yeah. then I've gotta I've gotta carry this accent twenty four seven anywhere in public, period. Yeah. And learn to sign my name in Russian and learn a few Russian phrases or a few Russian words and and be and legally become him, yeah. and mentally become him. So that was the deal. So it was like, I mean, tr- really, twenty four seven. I mean, you lived it twenty four seven. 
In fact, Mark Merrill, right? Johnny B. Bass? Yep, yeah. Mark Merrill recently told me this story at an autograph signing. He goes, dude, I don't, I've never had a chance to tell you this, but when I first came to the Carolinas, and I'd be in the dressing room, me and some of the other young guys, newer guys, and you'd be talking with that accent. We're looking at He goes, you scared us to death. <laughs> we didn't want to he goes, and, and, and we looked at each other and goes, does he know we're smart? He, that he doesn't have to talk with that accent here in the dressing room? Uh. And, 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 and one step further, guys, I, I maintained that character three years after I walked away from wrestling. Wow. I still maintained the persona 24-7. Uh. You must have driven people crazy because, uh, you know, you've, have you heard the story with uh, Jim, Cur- uh, Jim Carrey did the, uh, the, uh, uh, what the, the comedian's name? Um, uh, what the heck is his name? He, the, uh, Andy Kaufman. Okay. You, have you heard the story right. though, where uh, Jim Carrey played Andy Kaufman in the movie and he did, you know, 24 seven, he lived that character the entire time and drove them out of their minds. Did, <laughs> The people around you go, okay, Nikita, okay, we can take a little break here. <laughs> well, it, if they if they did, they didn't say it to me. If I said really, it to each really. other, but they just they got used said, to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah everyone in the ring, listen, in the ring, I was talking with you. You know, obviously, I'm working in the crowd and yeah. stand on the apron, whether it was without Dusty or or you know, whoever, was, whoever my partner was. You know. I, <laughs> just, I guess you, yeah. I guess, you know, okay, what he does is who he is. So you would wake up in the morning and go and go right in to character. If I, well, if I, if I stepped outside my front door, yeah. Wow, that's 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 awesome. Uh, well, obviously, obviously, it served you well, and I, I know uh, from uh, your book, and I, it just made me think of it, uh, Nikita: A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. Uh, it served you uh, well at times, being uh, you know pretending that you were having difficulty with the language, and I think <laughs> like the guy at the, the guy at the gym wanted you to uh, pay for membership. <laughs> were there other examples yeah. where where <laughs> it served you well? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The, the, the whole gym story. Yeah. We won't, for sake of time, we won't go in, but the whole, yeah, they'll yeah. just have to, they'll just have to buy the book and read the, read the whole story. But um, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, especially as a heel, especially as a bad guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause that was back in the era, you know, I, I, I didn't sign autographs, you know, I just did. I was a bad guy. Right. So yeah. I, I want people to hate me. Well, that's, I guess part, part of the reason why I was, you know, at one point, you know, voted the number one most hated guy. Right. Cause because people would try to talk to me, try to approach me. Ivan would go, don't even bother, you know, or whatever, or try to get him to talk to me, or Darso, or whoever. They go, you talk to me. I'm not going to talk. You want to talk to me? You go approach him and talk to him, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah, it served me well. Uh, so, Ivan and, uh, was such a great mentor to you. I was kind of, yep. uh, you know, and I, I didn't know of him. I never got the opportunity to work with him, but... Uh, why did he accept you? And I'm not saying that he wouldn't do that for other people, but for some reason he, he must have seen something in you because immediately uh, it seems he took you in and, and, uh, and became that mentor. What do you think it was that clicked? Um, well, uh, that's pretty, 
really pretty easy answer. Really, him and Don Canoda both. I mean, they, yeah. you know, because the rest of the story is, you know, we finished the interview, or the rest of the beginning of the story is we finished the interviews that day. Crockett said, be in Raleigh, North Carolina, my night, you're going to wrestle on television. Mm. And I'd never been in a ring, right? And I'm going to wrestle on television wow. in front of a sold out crowd. Okay. Um, it obviously, it kept the match short, but nevertheless, on television, sold out crowd, never been in a ring. Um, and for, for the next few months, Don and Ivan and I would get to towns early, two, three hours early. They'd bump all over the ring, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. I'd sit in the corner, watch the world tag match. Ivan would sit in my corner, watch my brief match. Mm-hmm. And then in the car, we'd discuss psychology. But the short answer to that question, why, I, why Ivan embraced me is, he said to me, he said to me, there was at, at a point, there was a point there at, at a certain point that he, he knew, and, and, you know, you guys been around the business long enough to know, you know, there, believe it or not, there's actually some jealousy in the business. There's some envy that, you know, really? some of that happens. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you believe <laughs> that? that? Some of that actually, imagine that it actually yeah. happens in, 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 in this business, jealousy, envy. And, and so he kind of got wind of, of guys who are like, what the heck? This guy walks in, he waltzes in yeah. here and becomes, you know, world champion, you know, overnight and yeah. never even been in the ring. And I've busted my tail for eight years and can't get a break. Yeah. So he said to me on more than one occasion, Dita, here's the deal. Obviously, you know, you didn't pay your dues in a wrestling school or in a wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. But you paid your dues, obviously, in other ways. Look, you know, look at your physique, look at your your attitude, look at your, and so don't let any of that bother you. You just focus on the success of your career, and I'm gonna, you know, help you every every way that I can. And so that's that's how that conversation went. He just. Yeah, and he became and he became like a, you know like an uncle that I never had. You yeah. know, so. Well, it seemed like you were in university during this whole period because, like you said, you're uh, the, you're getting to the ring early or the arenas early. They're working with you. Uh, then you have a match, kind of your experience for the day, and then you're riding in cars and you're get it's classroom time. Uh, when did it all start to make sense to you? When did it all start to click? And when did you feel you know, that you were really starting to make strides in the ring? It take a while, or well, I, I, um, I mean, again, I mean, you know, Cro- you know Crockett, Crockett's plan. I mean, he put me on the fast track, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, I mean, yeah, I had a lot of really short matches early on. I mean, squash matches. I mean, you know, beating two guys at one time, handicap matches, and 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 I guess both Don and Ivan both said to me. In fact, they've said it over and over. Don, when I run into him now, he'll go, gosh, I look back. I, I can't believe we just threw you out there like that. He goes, however, here's what he says. He goes, but you did it, man. You yeah. did it. You you embraced it. You made it You made it work. So, you, so um, I, I would say I was so fortunate so early on. I mean, you know, a guy named, like, Johnny Weaver was legendary in the Mid-Atlantic, right? The famous sleeper hole. Well, I got to wrestle guys like Johnny Weaver, like like Dory Funk Jr. I mean, guys who were, you know, sell names in the industry that would get in the ring with me, you know, 
and, and teach you the ropes, no pun intended. Guys like legendary Johnny Weaver in the Mid-Atlantic, famous sleeper hold, uh, Dory Funk Jr., um, uh, I mean, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. I mean, some guys who had stellar names in, in this in this territory and who were willing to get in the ring with me and, and teach me wrestling and teach me the business, old school yeah. mentality. And, you know, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I mean, the list goes on. But, um, and so I, it was, I would say I adapted fairly quick, although, you know, I still had a lot to learn, but, if you consider the fact that within 13 months of the day I started, hmm. I was the world tag team champion, the world six man champion. Tag, yeah. And for the first time ever wrestling Ric Flair for the world heavyweight title at the first ever great America bash. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that is insane. And, and especially when you think about, uh, you know, how big the NWA was then it wasn't some uh, little, little operation off of there. You know, the WWF was just getting, really going under Vince McMahon and uh, really that right. th to think what you did in that is amazing. <laughs> it really is. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I know that uh, Cronota left and then uh, Crusher Khrushchev uh, who played the better Russian Barry or you? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what's funny about, you know, people like kind of laugh at Barry's character, but, it wasn't intended for him to be a Russian. It was intended for him to be a turncoat, and and hence him just you know just speaking English on any interviews. Yeah, right. um, but we but we tagged him with the Crusher Khrushchev name, <laughs> you know, to to give him you know to try and get some heat on him. Yeah. While everyone knowing, hey, this cat's really American, but you know you, you know but he's teaming up with these Russians and. That was the idea behind it, right. uh, but Barry did a great job. Yeah. You know, as a third wheel, he did a great job. Yeah. Well, and, and you got to look back at that uh, uh, fondly, and, and even then, because you guys would cross paths. You know, talk about those those guys from from Minneapolis, from Robbinsdale, and I know somewhat the Henry. Uh, did you look around sometimes and look, how did this happen? This fraternity of guys that came from this this little area, you know, that, that were all together and and keep crossing paths throughout your career. Yeah, it, it's well. It, we had a uh, there was a one, one of the guys that graduated with Kurt and Rick. His name was Jim Younger. Uh -huh. When he got out of high school, he started a gym up there in Minneapolis called called The Gym in in uh, in the Robbinsdale Golden Valley area, and it became a mecca not just of professional wrestlers. Uh -huh. This gym, he shut it down after twenty five years. But this gym, I mean, Jesse Ventura worked out at the gym. Uh, there were there were world class power lifters, you know, mm. record holders. There were there were world class bodybuilders, men and women. I mean, it was a mecca for athletes. So, you know, guys like Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos, who you know, who came out of Cooper High School, you know, right there in that area. Um, Scott Norton. I mean, gosh, yeah, yeah the list yeah. is it's crazy. They they all kind of gravitated to the gym, and then some of them I think saw my as uh, the Road Warriors success, yeah. Darso, Henning, Rude, and, and yeah, getting wrestling too, and, and that kind of set them on that path. Yeah, just incredible. I mean, a movie really does have to be made about that. It's it's just amazing. But but getting back to that period of time, and and we, uh, 
kind of digress there a, a bit, but um, I think we're talking 84, and, the, and this is when it really starts starts rolling for you. As you mentioned, you're uh, you know, tag team champion, six-man tag team, and all around these these legends. And you know, with Dusty, I think this is when, uh, at, at this period of time, that you started working closely with Dusty. And, and what impact did he have on your career? Tremendous impact. Oh. Uh, I mean, he came into the territory as the booker, Right. Uh, I was, I think maybe I was about maybe six months in and, uh, and I was one of the first guys he did an angle with, uh, and, you know, the little arm wrestling thing in the ring and, uh-huh. and people bought it, you know, whole American, that's kind of where the Russian nightmare kind of came from. I'm like, you know, cause I was like, Oh, you're the American dream uh, nightmare. In fact, uh, uh, I'll be the Russian nightmare right. and, and, you know, kind of thing. So we did some angles there, you know, and, and had some matches there. Um, and I, again, I, I think I'm sure he was around the business a long time, saw my dedication to, to the character and my dedication to the career. And so he really, I feel put me in some really good storylines, some great angles with some of the guys and, uh, as well as himself. And then uh, of course, eventually, as we know, when Magnum TA had the accident, the wreck, Mm-hmm. Him and Crockett pulled me into a room one night and, and come up with a brilliant idea of, I, I, I think, the first ever babyface Russian, right? First ever good guy Russian, right. you know? It turns um, so I give a ton of credit to Dusty for, for not only catapulting my career early on, but also um, also really having the, 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 the insight to go, I think this would work if, if we became the superpowers. Yeah. Well, and then you would have these, uh, you know, some great matches with Ric Flair uh, as well. And, uh, you know, coming into the business where you did, and this happened, I mean, we're talking a couple of years here, that um, when did you have, and maybe you did have it all the way through, but when did you have the confidence to feel that, I mean, I'm among the absolute best wrestlers in the world. I mean, they were among the elite. Well, you're talking uh, Dusty and, and Rick and uh, Ric Flair and, and, you know, some of these other people that you're in the ring with. Did you always have that confidence, confidence or did you have to get to a point where, uh, yeah, I belong here? I just had to listen. And, and, and then beca- by becoming a good listener, I was able to learn. Yeah. And, and, and what I mean by that is because I was in there at, as you mentioned, with some of some of the stellar names of wrestling, yeah. who were so schooled in the art of wrestling and masters, you know, Dusty was a master psychologist. Mm-hmm. Rick was a master. Rick Steamboat was a master psychologist, and, and so the the pressure was really kind of taken off in terms of me having to go in and try to. To orchestrate a match because I'm in there with the masters of wrestling. All I had to do is be a good listener, follow it, follow their direction, and and execute what they wanted me to do, which I tried to do to the best of my ability and was able to to succeed to a to a certain degree. Um, that that helped to catapult that that character to to the success it had, and so. Uh, that's the way I would answer that question. I just fortunate to be around the guys that I was around. They, they're the ones who made Nikita Koloff look good. Yeah. But also you, you, if you didn't have the talent, there's no way you could, you would be stepping in there 
And I, I know that you say that you know Ric Flair could make a broom look good, but you still uh, you had to be able to carry uh, your own in that ring, and uh, and it wasn't just with someone like Ric Flair. And uh, you know, I would love, I would really, I'd love to get in and talk to all the a lot of these great matches. But of course, many remember those the the matches with Magnum TA, which you had that uh, great feud with, in, in uh, I think it started in '86. That's the seven. '87. Yeah. Best, no, the best. No, best. no. I was just going to say uh, that's what I wanted to get into was I think that that is one of the greatest concepts for uh, wrestling matches ever, and I don't know why it hasn't been brought back in some shape or form because uh, it was brilliant and and uh, and the way it went. So first, tell me how that got started and where that idea came from. Again, you know, Dusty was a master at. I mean. He doesn't probably get as much credit or enough credit, but you know whether it's the best of seven, the war games, or, or other uh, ingenious ideas like that, uh, you know, originated from from uh, you know my superpower, the dusty rule, the, the American dream, the power of power to three to be power if you will, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> That's good. But um, so yeah, Dusty, you know came up with the idea, the concept of, of the best of seven. And yeah, looking back, it was, I think it was brilliant. And then I couldn't have been partnered with a better guy. I mean, Magnum TA, the all American looking apple pie, hot American hot dog, you know, Chevrolet guy. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we had, you know, we just recently, him and I did a, a Q and a at the crop up tournament, uh, for, for some VIPs and discussed, uh, that specifically and how our styles of work, uh-huh. him and I, yeah. just really complemented one another, and, and uh, which is why I believe it made it uh, made it into what it became was because of our willingness to, to not uh, our willingness to maintain the integrity of of how we work with one another. And the realism of it, that's what a lot of people will say, the fans, is the realism of those matches, them, you know, individually, yeah. as well as the concept of the best of seven. Yeah. And it was that, it was that sense of reality, too, as you just mentioned, that it, it wasn't just the work in the ring. It was all that surrounded it, too. And I don't know if this was born because of, you know, we're thinking of like a World Series that we see or, or in the NBA but the idea of it, and then have you lose the first three matches? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, who came up with that idea? And how did that? I, I, I would have loved to have been there live to just see how that the the drama went down for that, especially in those three. You know, the first three. It's like if you're watching a World Series, it must have been the same feeling for people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you said a little bit. So Magnum lost the first three, right? Yeah. Um, and again, he's the all-American boy, right? So yeah. what What better, right. So it did center around, obviously, Dusty was a big Celtics fan, yeah. you know, NBA fan. So, you know, the best of seven there, the, the World Series, right? Yeah, the, the World Series, the NBA of wrestling, right? Yeah. So that is kind of, that helped uh, the concept there, the idea, right? right. But um, so the idea of, of, the, of the Russian, two things. The idea of the Russian, yeah, again, so showing how superior we are, crushing, right? Yeah, of, crushing, them. <laughs> crushing yeah, crushing him, crushing Magnum, yeah. the, the all-American boy, yeah. crushing him, and 
the idea of a Russian actually having the U.S. title around <laughs> around his waist yeah. um, drew so much heat from the fans. And then, what better story than than the potential All American make the big comeback from three to nothing and win four to three? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. What it's, better story than yeah, that? Right. And then you kill it. <laughs> it was great. So it, it was great. Well, so for him, yeah, for the three, three to one, three to two, three to three, and then the the, the seventh and, and and the final, the finale, um, you know, would just put the whole thing over the top and over the edge. Yeah. And I must say too, the idea of a contract signing with his mom, you know, he never smartened his mom up to that. We just talked about this. Really. He, his mom never. His mom never knew nothing. Never knew. Never knew wrestling was not real. Pro wrestling, and so <laughs> when you see her reaction yeah. at that con- at that contract signing, that was like real rad. Like these guys are killing my son yeah. here, right? And and you know it was interesting. So over the weekend, playing these golf tournaments and stuff, and listening to some of the pro athletes and their view of it. Over and over and over again, I, if I've heard it once, guys, I've heard it a million times, how that era was so magical. And, and their conclusion is, because they, cause they, you know, everyone knows it's all scripted, right? They can all te- but they can also tell it, even though they know it. They go, but in that era, there was such a genuineness to the matches. Like, right. And again... Right now we're talking about me and Magnum, right? Yeah. That they genuinely look so real, which is why the fan reaction was so real because of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, that that uh, that sense of, of reality to it, and it wasn't just what was happening in the ring. It was the way you surrounded that whole thing with the the press conference or the you know with the and, and the fact that man, you talk about uh, mom selling it, you know. So. Yep. Uh, is that yep. is that stand out as among uh, it has to be but uh, you had so many but as as one of the you know all time best series uh, I like, best angles highlights yeah yeah I mean it's the most often mentioned by the fans um, which is I love you know getting out doing autograph signings mingling with the fans because I now I hear their stories and get their perspective on all this yeah and I I love it it's just it's just so cool to hear. Um, that's the most mentioned is, is the yeah. best of seven. The very first great American bash against flair is it ranks kind of up there as well. And the very first ever war games, uh, essentially ranks up there. And then the, the, the turn, the turn to become, come to Dusty's rescue and create the superpowers. Those are probably the four major highlights looking back. Although, like you said, there were, there were many, but those are probably the top that would come to mind yeah that, that's uh that, it's tough to choose i would imagine when you work with people like that um but yeah. uh but also pulling off the uh the turn too was after you know you're you were god you were a, a shit hill man uh, people just hated you and uh oh. to pull off that that turn what talk a little bit about what was involved there and uh and how it worked well it I, again, I mean, you know, that could have that could have been the biggest bomb ever, you yeah. know, in, in in wrestling, or or the the most brilliant idea ever, right? Potentially, right? Uh, the potential is it could go either way, though, right? Uh, so the psychology behind that was okay. We're 
man, we're good. We're going to, and they gave me the choice and I said, let's go for it, you know? And, and, and so let's give it a shot. Yeah. So the psychology that, that particular night was, um, you know, Dusty goes to the ring by himself first. I, I kind of delay my coming through the curtain and, and, and then once I do, and I come out of the, the, you know, the good guy dressing room and they, and I mean, in that arena that night, like looking back, I mean, his music was playing, mm. but gosh, you could have heard a pin drop all of a sudden that when, when I walked out the curtain, cause they're like, what the heck? What's, yeah. What's going to happen? Go off? What? Cause yeah. it was mis It was mystery partner, right? Nobody yeah. knew. Right. One of the best kept secrets in wrestling. You, you'll never do that ever again either. Cause, <laughs> yeah. cause no, I didn't even tell, I didn't tell Ivan, I didn't, the horseman didn't know, nobody knew who his mystery partner was. It was one of the best kept secrets until that night. In fact, I got to the arena an hour after the show started. I mean, it was really kayfabe, as we called it in those days. Yeah. Protected. Nobody in the dressing and, and room? So, not until I walked into the dressing room. Yeah, yeah. And we're separate dressing rooms in that arena. Yeah, so yeah. not until I walked into the dressing room did anyone have a clue. Wow. Uh, of who the mystery partner was. And so, I, you know, going to the ring, the psychologist, I kind of let him get in the ring. You know, I trail, of course, Ole and JJ are going to jump on him and, you know, the, the heat's going to start right away. And and I pause. I, I step step over the barrier. I pause. I step up to the door of the cage. I pause. All that was intentional to build the anticipation of what is going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And then the minute, of course, I step through the ropes and Ole kind of comes towards me and I tear into Ole. I mean, the old expression, you know, the roof came off the wall. You know what? <laughs> the, the roof really, to use that expression, really did come off the building. And and people. And it's funny, guys, you're talking about how I was hated. I really was. People yeah. loved yeah. To, to hate me. The same guys, I'll never forget, that a month earlier, I'm in there wrestling as a heel, you know, one of the baddest of the best. Same guys that were, you know, telling me I was number one in their heart, you know, I, I, I know you know what I mean. Yeah, Our listeners exactly. know what I mean by that. Number and, one, And yeah. throwing beer cans <laughs> and everything else at me. These same guys, in an instant, you want to talk about turning fans in an instant, man, they had their shirts off in the arenas. They were doing my, my old most muscular pose and the whole deal. And, and then Dusty helped prompt, but for 15 minutes, they chanted my name. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. I, I was I, I was looking back on it. I was like kind of mystified by it. To be honest with you, I was like, "Wow, yeah." It was a it was a, a stellar moment in certainly in my career to go, "Wow." And I don't, Big I don't wow moment. yeah. And I don't know if you ever think about it, but uh, you know, most people think about a uh, superstar or a wrestler uh, who kind of blurred those lines, and, and of course, everyone thinks of uh, of, of Steve Austin, of Stone Cold. But uh-huh. uh, in, uh-huh. a, in a sense, it was, I mean, this was, we're talking, what, late 80s there, and it was kind of you. I mean, you were that one, kind of one of the first that really, you know, was, like I said, you were a shit heel and were able to uh, turn it like that. But you still had that nasty edge that, that, like, that Steve would pull off later. But I don't know if you've ever thought right. about that, but that's what it kind of reminded me of. Uh, thinking about sure. you know, seeing going back and looking at this stuff did did it ever yeah because i didn't change right because i didn't yeah. change i mean yeah, i may have tweaked my style yeah. in the ring a bit you know uh, as you know as a baby face as a good guy but but for the most part still right still kind of maintain that that rugged edge that rough and rugged yeah 
for sure. Yeah, and, and but you know, it's a lot more. It's accepted a lot easier now, and it was in the you know in the late nineties with the you know, attitude era. Right. But then, no, right. it was very difficult because if they, especially after you'd been around, this wasn't something you were going back right. and forth. Uh, was a, an incredible accomplishment, and uh, I don't know if you enjoyed that time. I mean, most guys love being heels, but uh, being a babyface, did you did you enjoy that, or did you couldn't wait to get back to who you really were? <laughs> no, I, I, I no, I, great great question again. I, I did. I, I I I'm I feel thankful that I had the opportunity to be on both sides of the tracks. I don't know yeah. that I would have just wanted to be a you know heal my entire career and never having had that experience um and, and so you know pros and cons to everything but i mean but that said you know certainly enjoyed both aspects of that of the business uh and and feel fortunate thankful and you know just just blessed that i got to have that experience yeah for sure yeah 100%. that's just awesome uh we mentioned Dusty and, and uh, your opportunity to work with him, but um, also you would team with the uh, you, you would work with the Road Warriors too, and of course I remember, I remember the the, uh, the Great American Bash tour. Um, but what was it like to work with those guys? I mean, here you got Dusty Rhodes, and then you're also working with two guys from the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when well, of course, you know, when it's Ivan and I, you know, working Russian chain matches and yeah. those sorts of things, you know, those ta- tag matches and stuff, it, it, it really, I felt, again, chemistry, right? It made, right. made for a really great chemistry between us to oppose one another. Then when, when, when we put the superpowers and the, and the road warriors together against the four horsemen, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, we sold out arenas for two, over two years around the uh, country. I mean, legit. Two years. And Jeez. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was. It was so much fun. Dude, whether it was eight man tag, six man tag matches, it, it was. It was a blast. We're and and I had a blast traveling. Like Dusty and I for about two and a half years, pretty much traveled exclusively together in in the car. Now we flew on planes together, except with others. But he and I a lot of times would drive to the towns together and back, and, yeah. and here in the Carolinas, and 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 talk about just quality time. With, with someone who had become a dear friend uh, was was just a mem- so memorable, yeah. so memorable. Yeah. So uh, you're born uh, Nelson uh, Scott Simpson, and uh, why? And, and I know you did, you hated Nelson, but why? Why the name change? Why did you decide to make it official and, and do it legally in '88? In, in well, uh, again, uh, I want to get the character over. Right? Uh-huh. Actually, I think it was. Actually, it was. It, it was that actually, I don't think it was, uh, it was earlier than that. I don't think it was. Oh, was it? And, and I think so. I, yeah, I, it was pretty, pretty quick after my rise to, you might say rise to stardom. Cause I, once I saw the career launching, taken off, I'm like, okay, this is just another step in, in, in locking in this character, securing this character. And, and funny part to me a funny part looking back about that story is i flew to minneapolis to do it and and it was a female judge and i don't know if she was just trying to impress me or that she knew john wayne's real name or what you know the actor john right, wayne right, right? Yeah. the duke because she i'm standing in court and she goes now, now you know she goes you, you could do an aka like marion whatever john wayne's birth name was right yeah. um and, and an aka you know and, and she's like and i go 
you know, I appreciate that, man, but not interested in an AKA. I I'm go, just want to go all the way with this thing, you know, and just let's just lock it in. She goes, okay, just thought, you know, want to give you that option, you know. And I'm like, well, appreciate it, but not interested in doing a, a an AKA. So uh, again, the mentality was, I figured. Hey, I'm going to be flying on airplanes, getting stopped by cops right, for speeding, right. you know, one day. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> they're going to see a driver's license, and they're going to see Nikita Koloff yeah. on that driver's license and go, wow, this this cat really is, he's the real deal. Yeah. Did you uh, did you trademark it? I did. Mm-hmm. Early on, you were, you were one of those guys who realized this, uh, this may make me money. I was the first guy ever to hire a business manager, I believe, uh, and, uh, again, Tim Peltier, the same guy that played quarterback in uh-huh. high school and college. I hired him as a business manager and did a stellar job of, of taking care of me. Um, sent him, sent him, Crockett's checks would be mailed to Minnesota to him, and he would simply simply send me an allowance, a weekly allowance. That's how it worked. Uh-huh. And uh, so I never saw what I made from week to week. It just went directly to him. And... And, uh, and Tim is the one who trademarked it, had the, had the foresight to trademark it, as well as do several other things uh, legally, but invest, that was one of them. Tim, invest for you, too? Tim trademarked it. Uh-huh. Did he invest for you, too? He did. Yep. Uh, that's good, man. He did it all. Yeah. He did it all. You, you he, found, you found he a good investment. one. <laughs> you know, so many I other did. guys lost invest- millions, you know, uh, trusting other people, but... Uh, well, what's a uh, little side note here? Yeah. So, so once guys got wind of that, yeah. um, you know, because he had the investment group, he had an attorney group, he had a CPA group. I mean, he had he he was smart enough to be the kind of the hub and have all these guys around him doing all these other things. Okay, yeah. Yeah. get the picture. Yeah. Well, eventually, these other guys found out about it, and one by one, at one point, on on his payroll, he had Nikita Koloff. Yeah, yeah. Joe Ornias, Mike Hextran, Kurt Henning, Barry Darso, uh, Big Boss Man. He had about ten guys uh, on his payroll. That's on agency. <laughs> That's great. He did. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's fantastic. Yep. Uh, I, I, I kind of go. I wanted to get this in because I know it had a, a dramatic impact on your life. Uh, was when um, your your wife became ill at the time. The woman, the wife uh, you had at the time. Uh, with cancer, and uh, were you uh, riding high and wrestling at that time, and uh, just felt this is what I have to do, or were you? Was it already starting to wane a little bit, and it was easier for you to step away? What was going on at the time? So you know, Mandy, uh, she was twenty-four. She got diagnosed with Hodgkin's. Um, got it into remission for a short period of time. Came back with a vengeance. Uh, uh, up to stage four, and and uh, at that it was at that point when it came back with a vengeance. Uh, and she, you know, she was very very sick. That uh, I went to what we affectionately called the Ivory Towers in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Sat down with Jim Hurd and the Powers to Be, and and said, okay, and, and but and no, I, the character was not waning. That I was main event. I was yeah. you know still hot, you know, hot in the industry. Um, and I just said, this is what I got to do. I go, I got a you know, wife dying of cancer here and, and I'm going to step away. And I told him, I go, guys, I'll be back, mm-hmm. but 
but I got to take a sabbatical and my wife's dying of cancer. I've got to go take care of her and, and, and try to nurse her through this, nurse her back, back to health and, and do this. And, um, quite frankly, they, they were not, uh, pleased about it. My decision really? because I was main event. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it, look, the mentality of that business is wrestling needs to be your number one deal. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's gotta be your priority. And, and, and I say that, and here's why I feel I can say that, okay? So I step away, I take care of her, she passes away. A week or two later, uh, I'm down at Ric Flair's house. He's got the book at this point, he's the booker. Mm-hmm. I'm down at his house in Charlotte. He offers me the world title if I'll come back. Mm. Um, I turn him down. Uh, I get... I, I tr- he calls me a second time. I, I give him some crazy parameters. He goes, they'll never go for that. They didn't go for it. Um, I eventually come back. Eventually come back. Yeah. Uh, it, but here's the deal. When I came back, they never looked at me the same way as prior to leaving to take mm-hmm. care of her. And that's why I feel I can say, we're through about leaving. They never treated me the same after that wow the office i'm talking about the office never treated me the same after that in fact they tried to bury my character truthfully really they did but but how did that uh the death of of uh of your wife affect you uh as far as i guess you know making sense of life like what am i doing or because it, it it was wasn't too long after that 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 you you really you really changed your life when you eventually get away from the business but was it that point when you really kind of took a serious look at you know what what my life is all about well you know what sean what i would say is this um just you know look at so if i take a just a quick a glimpse back up you know i didn't grew up in minnesota i didn't grow up in church you know i Mm -hmm. i I would i would say i would say i've always believed in god but i i certainly wasn't living for him or didn't have a relationship with him but what that did for me at that particular time Mm -hmm. was open my eyes to the brevity of life i mean life's like a morning fog right you see it it's here you experience it and it's over i mean it's quick Mm -hmm. and and so for her to you know die at age 26 it was part of the, my journey to, to the altar to give my life to Jesus. That was part of my journey. It didn't happen then, mm-hmm. but it was part of my journey to say, man, life can be really, really short. Because um, she was only 26. Yeah. And, and so even when I went back to wrestling after that, it, and again, the reason, part of the reason I turned Rick down was I just wasn't mentally ready to go back. Yeah. Um, still grieving over her loss. And then once I felt like I was ready to go back, I went back, but then there was just, again, between the way they kind of treated me and, and just my own perspective on all of it was different. Right. Yeah. Um, which then would eventually lead me to, to walk away under my terms, by the way, in spite of what they might've, might've said, uh, on television, but, under my terms, and then eleven months later, you know, again finding myself at 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 an altar, surrendering my life to the Lord. But yeah. 
Well, you mentioned in your book too, and it's a, you talk about this with the loss of your wife, and then, but also some of these other people that uh, were in your life, and we've seen it, you know, happen. I, I was, uh, I really loved Kurt Hennig. I thought he was just an awesome person mm-hmm. the time, all the time. I worked with him, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Brady Boone and, and Tom Zink and these other guys, but also Ivan Koloff, yeah. who we just we lost recently. But um, how did that? Uh, how does that all put that in perspective in your life too? As as far as um, you know, we've seen that these guys were just full of life. God, when we knew them, um, and it it was over like that. I mean, Kurt, God, so young, you know, in a sense. Yeah, and 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 it was interesting. You know, again, I go to I go to school with Kurt. You know, yeah. his wife. Uh, uh, you know, his wife. You know, she was a cheerleader, so you know, I knew his wife. Yeah. You know, I knew he had, you know, all the kids. And in fact, his his wife had a uh, had a sister that was in my group. Age. So his wife graduated with him in '76. She had a sister who graduated with me in '77. We look back, you know, look back on those days. Everyone loved the cheerleaders, right? And 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 uh, you know, they were they were beautiful girls back then. And so I was like, man, you know, he hit the he hit the payload there, right, with yeah. with his wife, and then. Of course, Janine, who graduated in my year, uh, you know, everyone thought they, these girls were beautiful. And so it was kind of like, an, again, an eye opener, like, man, you know, just the, just the tragedy of life now, right? To, whether it's cancer or, or it's unfortunate, you know, a drug overdose, whatever it is, again, the decisions and choices we make in life that can lead, lead to success or failure uh, really comes down to each and every one of us, you know, individually on, on, on what our life stands for, what it ends up being, you know, when it's all said and done. And so, yeah, yeah to lose some of these guys, whether it's a car wreck, you know, like Brady Boone or, or, or what's crazy is to me. So you mentioned Tom Sink, yeah. Rick Brood, yeah. Kurt Henning, yeah. who all graduated in, 19, in 1976, uh, uh, who are no longer with us. Yeah, right? I know. And, and again, guys, it just goes back to just the brevity of life, and and then and then open, should open our eyes to what do I want my life to mean? What do I want? What kind of statement do I want to make when it's all said and done? When people look back on my life, what kind of impact did I make? What kind of impression did I leave with other people? And hopefully, it's it's positive and not a negative one, right? Yeah. So and that's where it brings me. Yeah. That's where it takes me. Yeah. And when you uh, you talk about uh, when you came back, and it was never really the same, and, and on both sides of this, you said the, uh, the people you were working for and, and in you, um, and, and you say when you left, it was without fanfare, but you left on your own own terms. Uh, people think that there was an injury involved, but it was your, it was your decision. You could have uh, been one of those people that kept going and probably found you know more success in the ring, but... Uh, it, it seems as though you decided that you were going to do it on your own terms, and and you did. So, and I did. I, I was, uh, I, I was uh, playing with a bunch again, a bunch of football guys this weekend, right? So they understood this when I said, "Hey, I'm kind of coined as the Barry Sanders of pro wrestling." Mm-hmm. And I go, "You guys probably get that." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." Barry left in his prime, right? Left yeah. the Detroit Lions in his prime of his career. So really, I'm. 33, um, um, I, I've already had a pretty pretty decent career leading up to that, and certainly, yeah, could have could have extended the career. You know, it would have been easy to go another 
10 years, whatever, however long, right? Yeah, right. Um, would have been easy to do that. The reason I want people to understand, the number one reason that I left when I did was going, let's go back real quick to, to the Ironman magazine, age 12, becoming an athlete, looking at other athletes, and wondering why can these guys not walk away when they're on top? Why do they have to? In, in my mind, I'm thinking, why do you have to be like has been or, and or washed up or, you know, old? Yeah. Why can't they just walk away? Yeah. So I always said to myself, when I make it one day, I'm going to leave on top. I'm going to leave as a champion. I'm going to leave as a winner, and I'm not hanging around. And I told Don and Ivan, we argued about it for the first two weeks I was in wrestling. I said, guys, I'll be out of active wrestling by the time I'm 35. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah. you know, we went back and forth. Yeah. Finally, yeah. I just I just stopped. But I was 33, getting ready to turn 34. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm uh, done. Walk yeah. away. Yeah. So Vader Vader hurt you, but uh, the, the people thinking he ended your career is not the case. You just uh, you had to heal. And if you would have wanted to come back, uh, you, you could have. But... Uh, you had somebody, uh, fortunately, somebody, uh, I, I imagine, took care of your money, so that wasn't going to be something you were concerned with, and you could have another life. Yeah, could, uh, life after wrestling. I used to argue with guys, tons of guys. We'd be riding in the cars, yeah. and I'd go, hey, guys, there's life after wrestling, you know. Now, some of the guys, unfortunately, their mentality was, no, this is all I know. This is all I can do. I mean, we would argue up and down the roads. I'd go, no, don't, don't sell yourself so short. No, you have other gifts and talents, yeah. not just in the ring. You can do other things with your life. And, and I'm telling you, someone would go, no, this is all I can do. I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever. But I knew for myself, I had this conversation with, with Bill Watts when, uh -huh. when he came and took the book at WCW. I literally said, hey, Bill, I want you to understand something up front. I know how you operate. I just want to be just transparent with you. I can do other things. I have a college degree, a college education. I can, I'm here, I'm here, but I can do other things. So just understand that. And I believe he respected that. Mm -hmm. And I gained respect from him by saying that to him. And, and, and so when, right. So when I made the decision to leave wrestling and it wasn't guys, I, it wasn't like I made, multiple millions of dollars like the guys do now because yeah. I didn't. And yes, I had a business manager that, you know, did take care of me because look, the last official payroll I've been on was WCW in 1992. <laughs> Nobody's sending uh -huh. me a check. Uh -huh. Vince McMahon's not sending me a royalty check. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm out here on my own since 1992 <laughs> making a living. Well. And, and you mentioned it with uh, Vince, why did you never end up in the WWE? I think that is a question many, many people uh, wonder about because you would have fit right in. I, I know when I was there, you would have been a, a, a huge superstar. Why did it didn't happen? You know what? I, 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 the, the, the answer to that question is I, I personally never really had an interest or a desire Seriously, I never really had an interest or a desire uh, to pursue that. He never reached out to me. I never made the phone really? call. Really, they they never they somebody must have called you. I mean, I can't. I that is really really hard to believe. Really? No, I 
I have never received, I, no, not one phone call ever oh. from WWE <laughs> with an interest in working for WWE, WWF in the day. Not one phone call ever. And the other side of the, the other part to that story is I felt Jim Crockett gave me the break of a lifetime, the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And anyone who spends any time around me will find out I'm loyal to the core. I mean, I've been in the Carolinas living longer than I've been in Minnesota, but I'm still a loyal Minnesota Viking, right? I played with <laughs> Brad Johnson, you know, played quarterback for the Vikings yesterday, won a Super Bowl with the Bucks, yeah. and I said, Brad, I'm loyal to the Vikings. Tell me some yeah. stories, you know? So he, he did. Yeah. And, uh, but that said, I was loyal to Jim Crockett, Crockett Promotions, even though it was even sold to Ted Turner. Right. I still felt like Jim gave me the break. I felt loyal to the NWA. And yes, I did some things with Vern and the AWA uh, to help him out, you know, with Zabisco and some other things. But predominantly, my heart was with the NWA, WCW. I, yeah, you're right. I probably could have went up there and made 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times the amount of money mm -hmm. I made with, with Jim Crockett. Yeah. But I just had a loyalty to the NWA. Wow. Well, it's uh, it's been awesome talking with you, Nikita, and um, I, I I've seen video of you. I mean, you you are in tremendous shape. Uh, how do you keep doing it? And uh, you know, uh, how do you stay in shape the way you are now? You could looks like you could step in the ring again. <laughs> I, I, desire, but I appreciate it. But um, well, as as I'm a, I'm a 100, so. I was at the gym this afternoon working out after traveling for the last four or five days and, and, you know, playing 36 holes of golf. Mm -hmm. I was at the gym working out today. I'll be at the gym working out tomorrow. I also maintain a healthy lifestyle eating and I, I, I fast once a week. And for those who might not even know, understand that term or what that even means, I do it for physical reasons to detox my body but I also do it for spiritual reasons to draw closer in my walk with the Lord. And, and that's a very consistent thing I've done for really starting with the gym 47 years ago. And then the last part of that, I, I got to give credit to, to the good Lord, just trying to do the best I can to lead, lead a clean life and believe that the good health I have was just a blessing from him by leading as clean a life as I can. So, and uh, folks, uh, if you want to uh, hear more about these stories and also uh, uh, Nikita's philosophy on life, I mean, pick up the book. It's great. It's called Nikita, A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. How else can they get in touch with you? They can, um, they can, they can email me. In fact, Lex Luger and I uh, help facilitate and do men's ministry. We just launched a, a new ministry called Man Camp. And, and uh, huh. they go to mancamp.info, just not not mancamp.info, not .com, but right. mancamp.info. And they can email me right through that website directly and uh, communicate with me. And of course, Twitter and Instagram, I'm on daily with a little positive post. It's just Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it. That's the real meaning. Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it. Awesome. Well, Nikita, thank you so much. I'm glad we uh, were able to chat today and got it together. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. To all the listeners out there, 
Love you guys. I really mean that. You fans are the greatest on the planet. I say it over and over and over again. I'll continue to say it. Appreciate your loyalty. And thank you for the opportunity today, Sean. Appreciate it. Yep. I hope we meet up uh, sometime down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, guys.